we are starting a new sermon series. So to kick off this new sermon series, I have a question for you. How many of you have a dog? All right, that's a pretty good number. All right, question. How many of you have a cat? Okay, yeah, right. So you already hear it. Like, oh, bad. Okay. Okay, how many of you have both, a dog and a cat? Yeah, like four. Okay, good. Yeah. How many of you have a zoo in your house? You feel like it's going crazy. All right. Yeah, all right. So here's the deal. Question. Why am I even asking that? Have you noticed that there are dog people and there are cat people? And there are rarely the combo. You're the extremely patient universal ones. The reality is dogs and cats are very different, right? Maybe uh, a good way to describe it, read it in a book in this past uh, month as I was going through some uh, kind of separate study time. Dogs, they basically say this, you feed me, you pet me, you care for me, you must be God. Cats, you feed me, you pet me, you care for me, I must be God. Right? Dogs and cats, the aloofness versus the servanthood of it all. The real challenge in the book I was reading, it's called Cat and Dog Theology. Here's the question. Are you more of a cat or a dog when it comes to your relationship with the Lord? Is it more about me and what I get out of it and what comes to me in the end and how it's going to change me? And like, thank you, Lord, for being so awesome because then I get this out of it. Or is it, God, just because of who you are? I'm going to give you all I've got. You must be God. May I worship you for who you are. We're going to start this three-week series with this intent. May we all become dog-worshiping people, right? May we become that I'm completely sold out for you with what you're doing in this world and with what you're doing for me. There is none greater than you. May I worship you. This sermon series is called None Greater. We're going to spend three weeks looking at three different aspects of the glory of God. We're going to be looking at his presence next week. We're going to be looking at his creation the week after. Just what do we see about this amazing, vast God? Today, we're looking at his character, his DNA. We're going to take a look at Psalm 139. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 139. Ushers are coming forward and they've got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Psalm 139. We're just going to walk verse by verse through this saying, God, what would you have us to learn about your DNA? How can I be worshiping you more as I find out more about you? Psalm 139. First challenge point that comes here about his DNA and what we need to know. He is omniscient. Okay, these words... They're like big words in a way, but they're small words in another way. This word omni, you see it at the front end? That means all. And then it's like all-knowing. He is all-knowing. That's what that word means, omniscient. He is fully aware of every single detail in my life, of every detail of my life. He is omniscient, all-knowing, okay? This is a Psalm of David. We're just going to start out right in verse 1 and see this unfold. Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Oh, Lord. Now, for those of you who have been here in the past when we've gone through Old Testament stuff, see how that Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? It's all capped. That means that in the Hebrew, the personal name of God was used. That name, Yahweh. It means I am. 
It means I have no past starting point and I have no future ending point. It means eternal from existence in the past all the way into the future. I am. It means I don't depend on any other being or any other thing to exist. I am. The personal name of our God. That's the name that's used here. Oh, Yahweh. Oh, I am. Oh, existent one who doesn't depend on anyone or anything. You have searched me and known me. See the past tense? Have searched, have known. He's looking back in his life and he's going, you already know exactly where I'm at. You've searched, meaning you've looked into things. You are aware of what's going on in my life. You know me. This word know is like a personal knowledge. It's this intimate, deep, personal awareness of all that's going on in me. All the angst, all the struggle, all the joy, all those pieces I'm giving over to him clearly and all those pieces I'm clearly keeping back. You've searched me and you know me. In what ways do you know me? David starts exploring those. He says, you know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. Now, remember, we're going through a psalm here, and this is poetry, right? So we've talked about this before, too. Like English poetry is right? It's got this rhyming rhythmic scheme to it, right? And if it doesn't have that, you're like, that's a lame poem, right? They do haikus and stuff, and you're like, that's a loser poem, right? It needs to go, right? In Hebrew, poetry is parallelisms, one statement against another. So as we go through this, keep watching the statements in these verses and see how they work with each other, all right? We're looking in verse 2 here, and you see one statement and then extending a different aspect of that statement. It says, you know when I sit and when I rise. In other words, you know every action going on in my day. You know where I'm at. You know where I'm headed. You know what's taking place. You are completely aware of what's going on. Further, not just my actions, you discern my thoughts from afar. You are completely aware of what I'm thinking, what's going on in my mind, what I'm wrestling with, what the fears are, what the hopes are, what the dreams are, what the distractions are, all that stuff. You know. Wow. That's what David's saying. This is a wow moment. This is a, you have an unbelievable depth of knowledge. And it's not just about the big things of life. It's about every little thing going on, even in my little world. You know. He says, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Search out my path. In other words, you know the direction I'm headed. You know where I've come from and you know where I'm angling off to. You know my path, my lying down, like when I stop moving at the end of the day and I go to bed. You know every piece of what's going on in my life and you care to know. It's not one of those like you know and you're like, yeah, and I wish I didn't. It's you know because you want to know, you love, and you reach down into. You know every direction I'm headed. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's no hiding before God. There's a complete awareness of who we are and a complete love for us. Heard a definition of accountability this week. It's knowing deeply what's going on in your life. And loving you anyway. Think about that for a second. Real accountability. It's not, you're serious, that's what's going on? And then a back away. 
It's then I lean in. Then there's that much more we can be a part of. That's real accountability in our lives. This is real relationship with our God. He says, further this knowledge, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, personal name of God again, you know it all together. You know every word that's on my lips. As a matter of fact, you know every word that's going to be on my lips. You know me. That's kind of the summary. He says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You hem me in behind and before. You're like right in front of me, right behind me. You're around me. You're all in existence here. You hem me in behind and before. I got to tell you, I was reading some commentaries this week. Two or three different commentaries were like, David is complaining. He's complaining here that God is so all around him that he feels basically intruded upon. He, he feels like God is offensively in control. Why don't you stand up for a second, Jonah? It's, it's kind of like this. He feels like this. Hey, how's it going? You know, it's like this. And you're like, can you just give me a little space? That, that's what they're acting like, okay? Thanks, you're a wonderful model. That's why it was my wife I did it to, right? Anybody else are like, dude, that's weird. I'm not coming back. Their complaint was, I think I feel a little bit controlled. Let me ask you, is that cat theology or dog theology? Need an outside answer, not an inside answer. Cat or, th- cat or dog? Cat, right? That's all about me. It's all about me, and actually you're intruding upon me and my world, thank you, right? Are you kidding me? That is not where David's at. This is a dog moment where he's going, you unbelievably, unbelievably participate in my life. I was talking to my older daughter. We were sitting here two nights ago. We, uh, we decided not to watch TV for a week. So you have a lot more to do then. Did you know that? So we're actually sitting there talking. It was like 1030 at night. And I told her about this verse. And what some of the commentaries just said. And I said, what do you think of that? And this was her answer, 13 years old. She goes, oh, I didn't think of it that way at all. I thought of it like a hug. It's like around me. It's hemming me in behind and before. And I feel completely cared for. That's exactly what's being said here. It's like God reaching out and saying, I so have you. Don't worry about it. I'm right here with you. It's like a hug. How do you know that, Tim? Well, look at the next verse. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. It's too wonderful. You know those commentaries that were complaining in verse 5? You know what they said? David quickly changes his view and mindset in verse 6 and says it's wonderful. Yeah, so quick that he actually never thought that in verse 5. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you've got to be kidding. Come on. God's so involved in your life that he is completely aware of what's going on. And he so knows and so wants to be a part of it that he's hemming you in behind and before as if to give you that hug of compassion and knowledge. A moment of God right there with you. It says right after it is high. I can't attain to it. It is vast, lofty. It's, it's above anything I could ever imagine or have myself. God, you're amazing. Your knowledge blowing me away. You know, when you picture a mom with a baby, 
Just imagine a mom holding a baby, right? Is the baby in that moment saying, you are hemming me in behind and before. Let me go. Is that what it is? It's quite the opposite. It's that nurturing care that's holding on, protecting, and knowing what's happening. Here's my question for you. Are you looking at God's knowledge more from a cat perspective or a dog perspective? Is it like, great, I'm glad you know those things. Let's use a few of those knowledge pieces to change what's going on in my life. Could I have a little piece of information of where we're headed? Could you please answer to me how? Can I please know this so that? Or are we saying, from a dog perspective, wow, you know that much? You get my all. May I just drop to my knees and serve you. Lord, whatever you choose to reveal, reveal it. Whatever you choose to keep, you keep. I'm just amazed at who you are. The very DNA of our Almighty should drop us to our knees in humility, saying, may I just worship you. I am humbly at your service. That's just one piece of his DNA, the omniscience. Second, he is omnipresent. Omni, remember, all present. He is present everywhere. He is always with me. He is always with me. Verse 7. He says, in a question form here, basically saying the answer is nowhere, right? He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? The answer is not Peoria, right? There's not an answer. The answer is nowhere. I can go nowhere and get away from you. You're everywhere. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? You, almighty God, are so trustworthy because you are so present. He says, if I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He's beginning to go to extremes, right? If I go to the extreme, up in heaven, there. If I go to the other extreme, down where those go who are not going to be with you, Sheol, you're there. Okay, settle on that for a second. God is in Sheol. Let that settle for a moment. Theologically, that's a very real statement now. Hell is not a place where God isn't, right? I've heard that phrase used a lot to try to understand it. Hell is a place where God is not lavishing his grace upon. Hell is a place where God has removed his care from. He's removed himself as being the primary mover in. Remember that, okay? God is everywhere. And there isn't a place I can go that you aren't. But in this moment, David reflecting upon, you know me and you're there. This is an amazing combination. It's not you know me and you spun a top up and walked away, right? The deistic position of life. Like, boom, there it goes. God walks away. He's like, I know everything about you. Sad for you, I'm not there. Like, that's not what he's saying. It's I'm there with you. I'm right there with you. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. No matter where I can go, you think of the place here on earth. You're there, God. I'm in awe of your presence with me. Thank you for being there. Notice he says one more thing in verse 10. And your right hand shall hold me. Your right hand. This is a very important little analogy. The right hand meant the ruling hand, 
the judging hand. And in that case, also a protecting hand if you stay on his side, right? It speaks to the justice of the almighty God and his protection and care as you sit and relate with him. God having his hand around you. Your right hand is making sure I'm safe. I can trust in your protection. He's saying, Lord, it's more than you know when you're there. Oh, I feel really safe with you being there. Your right hand holds me fast. He says in verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light be around me, be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. That's our God. It's, you know, this physical darkness we experience. Yeah, that's nothing. You know, this moment where we turn off the lights and we're like, wow, my eyes cannot capture anything. I see nothing. The spiritual amazingness of our God brightens everywhere where he's at. It's that moment of God saying, it's my very presence that will light the room. That's what he's saying. You are so bright. Here's a couple of thoughts about God. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. God is love, joy. You know, that unbelievable satisfaction from within about what's going on. Not the happiness, but the joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what's lighting up the room. It's God's very character, his very essence that's lighting up the room. Let me read it to you this way. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? So we all know God is love, right? Okay, so here's what love is. This is what God is. So I'm going to put the word God in instead of love. You ready? 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way at your harm. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing. God rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. God never ends. That brightens a room. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship, not with someone who just knows a lot. Not with someone who's just a lot of places. We're talking about a God who knows everything, who is everywhere, and who is unbelievably bright and satisfying in our lives. God is love, and he's right here with you. Right here with you. Question, how come I don't feel that? How come that seems like a really distant truth to me? All right. Three things that might make us feel distant from God. This is not inspired. This is just my thoughts. But three things that might make us feel distant from God. Number one, drift. You might just have a general busyness of life going on where you end up running from thing to thing and soccer game to soccer game and baseball game to baseball game and business meeting to business meeting and whatever's going on and you just, all the busyness, you slowly begin to drift from actually having a spiritual awareness 
of God's very presence right there with you. Drift. Number two, distraction. This is a little more than drift. This is where I've actually begun to latch on to something. There's some one thing that's actually become very important to me, thank you, and I'm focusing on it. Maybe it's a person and a relationship in your life. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's what is it? What is it that you're making that thing in your life that's becoming the thing? And you're going after that. And all of a sudden, the very presence of God becomes distant. It starts with drift, just so you know. Drift leads to distraction. It leads to latching on to something that's become very important in your life and you grab it. Drift, distraction, and then the last one is dissonance. Notice all the D words. Drift, distraction, dissonance. It means I'm not living in, in unity with God. It means I'm basically going after my own thing. I'm in outright rebellion. God, I just want to tell you this. I know your character is about that. I'm not. I want you to know that I know you want this. Yeah, not for me, thanks. Outright, no way. You've got to be kidding. I will live my life the way I will live my life. Cat theology, through and through, rebellion. You want to know why the Spirit of God isn't felt or sensed in that moment? Because you're walling off every possible experience with Him. Rebellion. So drift, distraction, dissonance. Three very easy reasons. Question, where are you at with that? How are you doing with those three D words? Are you so busy that you're actually not taking much time at all for being alone? And experiencing the very presence of the Almighty God who knows everything, is everywhere, can do anything. I mean, are you kidding me? Every day of our life, seriously, let's be honest. Every day of our life, do we not go through our daily life saying, these are some things going on. Here's some things I'm struggling with. This is the junk that I have to change and fix. Here's some things that are going okay. That's all right. These are going good. But this I have to address. And, and, and in the midst of all of that addressing of the junk and looking at the things and evaluating, we don't think, huh, I wonder if the almighty God who can do anything is anywhere and knows everything has a thought about what he might want to see in this. No, I'm just going to go after my own thing. What a dangerous moment. It's time for us to set it down and say, God, may I lean upon you. May you get the glory. What you know, where you are, who you are. It calls for me to just drop to my knees. So here's my question. Which D word is yours? Got to grab it. Got to make it your own. It's time to set it down. It's time to let that go and be amazed with him. Well, how do you get rid of it? I'll tell you this. It's pretty simple. God is an amazing God of brightness. It's time to just spend some time with him. It's time to take the word of God and let it just erupt into living reality for you. I'm not talking about I read some black and white and I checked the box. I'm talking about I'm looking for the God of the universe. Show me who you are. I'm reading your scripture, Lord. Teach me of your character. Teach me of your ways. Go on a God hunt and let his word pour through you and over you. 
Just take a little time with his word. You'll be amazed. This isn't some churchy answer. It, it isn't. This isn't the little, oh, that's what they always say. Read your Bible and pray. Like, that's not it. This is seriously about the unbelievable, living, active, powerful word of God that will lead you directly to an awareness of his presence in your life. Go after it. Let his word become vital to your daily walk. Not just a thing you may or may not do. Vital. Okay? So, he is omniscient. He is omnipresent. And last, he is omnipotent. Again, omni means all. Potent, powerful. He is all powerful. His unlimited power means nothing is hopeless. Nothing is hopeless. Let's start walking through verse 13 here. David takes a look at this from his own perspective. He says, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You formed, you knitted. Theologically, we have a strong statement here. God is at work in the creation of each and every one of us. Every little one in every mother's womb is being knit and formed. The very hands of God, if we were to speak of it that way, the very power of God, the will of God, the moving of God upon that body, that soul, that spirit, that mind, that personality to form just as he wishes. That's God at work, knitting together. I think a very important little moment here, we might ask the question, well, wait a minute, then how is it that we have less than perfect people, less than perfect personalities, less than perfect bodies? How did that go? If God's in charge, I mean, did he mess up? Did he take a little coffee break? What happened? And I think we really need to answer it this way. We've talked about it before, but you've got to think of God working in the midst of this sinful world. He's allowing consequences at times. And at times he actually brings trial. We have to weigh those and figure out which is which and what's going on. But in the midst of understanding that, know this. God writing the image of himself upon each of us. And yet sin having a chance to kind of like on a chalkboard smear just a bit of it. So you can read parts but not the whole. Sin coming alongside of. And God allowing that to pass through his fingers in various ways. So that the body can be touched a little bit. So that the spirit, the personality can be touched a little bit. We need to understand it's not God who's the author of the broken. God is the author of his image. But he does allow for some touch in this world. Some hurt in this world. And we have to be a little cautious with that. It's really important we take that moment to understand. As we say simply, you've formed me. You've knit me. God fully in charge of what's going on in your life and mine, working with you, creating you exactly as he would have it. And whatever he allows through is exactly what he'd want and nothing more and nothing less. God forming, God allowing. What should our response be? It says, verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's not, I curse you because I'd rather be in charge. I'm upset with you because... I don't see your power coming and doing what I want done. It's amazing power, amazing responsibility. You at work in my life. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
You know, it is actually biblical for when somebody comes up to you to say, hey, how you doing? For you to go, I am wonderfully made. Did you know that? It's actually biblical. It's not arrogant. It's real, right? Here's the thing. It's true of each and every one of us. When someone's saying, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. God's at work in my life. And that is a good thing. It's not a measure of how many circumstances are going well and going poorly. It's the measure of a working God in my life. A wonderful God at work, whatever's going on. That's what he's saying. Wow, that deserves a little bit of praise. Like, wow, that deserves lifting his name up. I'm not going to stop on this one. We need to praise him, right? So David continues on. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame, it wasn't hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. You're a part of that moment in my life. In your book were written. And then he goes on to the care that God has for us. Let me just uh, throw this at you. Fearfully and wonderfully made. So I got on the internet this week and I typed in amazing facts about the human body. There's some pretty gross stuff out there. (laughs) But I'll give you some positive things. Check this out. 25 million new cells are created in your body every second. Every second. Like this. 25 million. 25 million. 25 million, 25 million. Are you kidding me? Every second. And we have like 400 people in here. That's like 10 billion cells being created right here in this room every second. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Unbelievable what God is doing. Here's another one. Did you know that every month you have a completely fresh new layer of skin? Makes you wonder where the other layer went. (laughs) A fresh new layer of skin, right? Every month. Guys, you like this one? In your lifetime, you will create enough spit to fill two swimming pools. (laughs) First question my wife asked, how big a swimming pool? I don't know. (laughs) Probably Olympic size and you don't want to swim in it, right? Like whatever. Like just amazing things about our human body that God puts in motion that he is a part of, that as Colossians 1 says, he doesn't just sit and spin in motion and walk away, but he sustains his very presence in our lives, keeping everything moving just as planned. Our sovereign superintendent, if you want to say it that way, completely managing the whole of it and none of it taxes him, right? That's a James McDonald phrase where he always says, just know this, No matter what God is doing to run the universe, he's doing it with his feet up. It isn't hard. He can completely manage all that's going on just by thinking about it and moving in a moment. He's going to create, so he speaks a word, right? Our God, in his vastness of power and presence and knowledge, moving in our lives. That deserves us saying, wow, may we just show you off. May we just show you off. He says as he closes it out here, how precious to me are your thoughts. Well, actually, I'll jump back up as he's talking about the book. He says this book was, has some things written in it. What's written in it? Every single one of them. One of them what? The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. 
Like before the earth ever existed, before I existed, you specifically knew every single moment of every single day of my life, what was going to be thought, what was going to be said, what was going to be done. More than that, you didn't just know it and be aware of it. It's like written in a book. You've got this thing nailed down. You know what's going on. It's not one of these things where we go to pray to God and we're like, Lord, please help me. This is going on. And he's like, you're kidding. I never knew that. Thanks for letting me know. This communication thing works out well where you tell me what's happening. Like, that's not why we're praying. It's not for God to have the aha moment where he goes, now it makes sense. That's not it. It's God saying, yeah, I've got it. Are you ready to walk with me? The power of prayer is us coming alongside of the almighty. You think of that word, almighty, right? We get used to saying it like it's just some name or some attribute. Almighty can do anything. We're coming to him and asking him to reign in our lives that he may be shown off. The almighty one. It says here, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Precious and vast. Like priceless. Beyond naming a value to. Vast. Sizeless. Unmatchable. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. It's like whether I'm dreaming or awake, wherever I'm at, you constantly with me. You know everything, omniscient. You are everywhere, omnipresent. You can do anything, omnipotent. You are amazing. Let's just say the word wow once. Ready? Wow, a little louder. Wow. Wow. Like that's your job daily and regularly. Wow. You need to have those moments. Have those wow moments where you're like, God, what are you doing? Wow. I need to be recognizing your hand at work. Wow. I need to see how you've worked in my life and in my past and in my future and whatever you've brought my way and whatever you've allowed into my life, I will look to you and say, wow, because it isn't about me. It's about you. May I lift you up. May I just lift you up. That's where we're headed with true worship. Okay? So, question for you. God's all-powerful. Is your thought, hey, nice power. Can you fix a problem for me? I really appreciate the fact that you can do anything. Can you please do this? Is that where you're headed with it? That's cat theology. Lord, how can you impact me? Dog theology. Lord, just because you are. Are you ready to make the transition? I know you might have some big things going on in your life. Some big hurts. A moment where something is going completely awry. And it isn't that God doesn't want to settle in and help with those. He absolutely wants to be a part of loving and caring through those. But know this. In the midst of loving and caring through it, it's not so that you can walk away and go, I must be pretty important for him to have come to my side. That's the wrong answer. It's you are unbelievable. Kick it back at him. Always lifting him up. That's the danger in the prayer of help is when the help comes, we might start thinking higher of ourselves than we should. Kick it back towards him. Lord, your glory, your honor. Whatever you do, you might answer this problem the way I'd want it to go. Great. More glory and honor. Like, awesome. You might say, no, not headed that way. This is the way we're headed. It's going to work out for my glory, and you're going to learn. Watch. Great. Here we go, Lord. I'm leaning on you. His power 
is not the magic genie to answer whatever problems we have and get us the, the whatever, the bigger car, the more money, the problems removed. The, that's not what it's about. It's about, Lord, may you be lifted up. And every time you show your hand, may it be to give you glory. May I show you off. Wow. Fourth, he closes with the answer. What should we do? He deserves my whole heart. He deserves my whole heart. David starts out here and he says, so how should I respond to those who are against you? He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. All right, go after David, right? So here we go. He says, just, just remove them. These people who are against you, these wicked. Maybe a good way to define wicked, I put, it's not just moral offenses. It's not anybody who's doing something wrong here or there. It's those who have decided, I will be in complete hostility to God. It's those who have said, I will be the enemy of God, right? He says it right after it in the next verse. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. It's about a guy who says, I don't want anything to do with you, Lord. I'm completely hostile against you. Do not mess with me. Give me my space. David says, I got a few things I want to say to that guy. Okay? He's taking a stance. And if I have to choose, I'm choosing to be with God, not over there. Okay? So he says, next segment here. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? And some of you are like, yes! I knew I could hate someone, right? Okay, that's not the way we're supposed to read this. Remember, love and hate, biblically, these are action words. Like we think of them more as feelings in our modern day setting. When we talk about hate, you think of this deep, unsettled angerness, like this feeling that rises up where you just, that's not what it is. Hate, it's describing the action. I am not lavishing upon you my grace, Okay. What he's saying is, Lord, I am going to stand in a position where I am disavowing any association with them. I will not lavish upon, know this, God is love, and we need to be ready at any moment for that reconciliation. A turning towards God is a running towards you. We must be in a position of great care for those who are headed for God. But we also need to know this. David was so sincere about worshiping this God and saying, you are so worth it, that he absolutely wasn't going to compromise his holiness or his relationship to the Almighty. Would not. That's what's being said. Remember that these are action definitions. Okay? He says, I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them mine enemies. In other words, there's not a moment of time where I'm hanging out with them, counting them my buddies, and really wanting to just draw from them and give to them. And I'm not going to help that moment. If you're hostile to my God, you're hostile to me. That's what he's saying. We need to be really careful how we read these kind of passages. Really careful. Because if you look at other scripture that talks about how to love and how to reach out and how to care, we need to be cautious as we're talking with those who may not know Jesus as their Savior. You might be sitting in here this morning going, I'm not sure that's me. Well, here's this moment for you to be able to be deciding. Hostile towards God? Or am I leaning in towards him and having him pull me in? And for those of us who have friends that are in that position, know this. Be cautious that you're not drawing from and trying to pour into what would be an enablement. Hey, let me help you enjoy life on this earth with no relationship to God. That would be a horrible moment. But at the same time, 
let me be kind enough to you that you see who God is and that's what you're going to see. It's not going to go further than that. It's not going to be an enablement. You're not going to sense it as this outright buddy, buddy, friend for life. Are you getting it? We got to be really careful here, right? David is not giving license to say, I'm going to run around hating anybody. What he is saying is, like the feelings of today hating, what he is saying is, I'm going around making sure that I will disavow any association, any deep relationship where I'm drawn from them and they're drawn from me on this deep relational level when they're going to disavow God. I can't do it. It's going to be a complete compromise. And your distraction, remember that we talked about the things that start killing the relationship with God, starts getting high. Just be cautious with that, okay? Cautious how to execute that. David says right after it, and I find this interesting, as he just gets into a little rant, he gets to verse 23 and he goes, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Let's make sure we keep this thing in line, Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Basically, remember it said in the verse, first verse, I have been searched and known. Now he's saying, please continue it. May my body be laid in your hands. May my heart be in your hands. May you take me and work with me and shape me. Lord, I give you all of me. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You have a chance to lay yourself before the Almighty and be altered for eternity. You know, let me just tell it to you this way. A couple of weeks back, we went on a family uh, vacation. We were out in Tennessee for a wedding, and then we went on to D.C. When we were down in Tennessee, uh, we were with a bunch of family for this wedding, and uh, we spent the later part of the evening with my niece. And uh, as we were talking with her, she had a few questions about creation. And honestly, I can't even tell you what the questions were because the terms and the studies and the she was looking at some studies of evolution and whatever, and I don't even know what she was looking at. And she said, what do you think of that? I'm like, I don't know. I have no answers for that. She said, what do you mean for that? And we talked a little bit more, and I said, look, I can tell you this. And I walked through Romans 1 definition of how we can see a little bit of our taste of God in creation. You can see his eternal nature. You know, like when you look at what's created and the thing that came before it, and there's always something that came before it and before it and before it, and logically, there had to be an original something, Right? And so we would say that's God himself. And the evolutionist would say that's a primordial black hole that exploded with all this energy. But something existed for all eternity past his eternal nature, right? Romans 1 says you're going to come to his eternal nature, head to head, face to face. And, and it had to have this massive power that created everything you could see and his divine power, right? Like there's pieces of God you can see. And we have a choice to look him in the face and recognize him or ignore him and walk away. And we talked a little bit more and she got into some of her personal pain and problems. And Jana started sharing the gospel with her and just to make sure that she knew where she was. And she said, have you believed this? And she said, yeah, I think so. Probably in the last year and a half, something maybe. And Jana pressed one more time and she kind of danced it a little and, and it just kind of sat there. And I, I just said, you know, can I just ask you a little more specifically, Courtney? Have you nailed it down? I mean, can you say, hey, I've got a date I mean, you may not know the exact, but, and, and if you don't, maybe now is the time to nail it down. It's at least now, it might be before this, but let's make now a moment. What, what do you think of that? And she looked at me and she goes, yeah, I think I need to do that. I don't think I've nailed it down. 
And so we walked through a prayer where she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. She basically just said, Lord, it's not about me. I know that I've done wrong. Please use your shed blood on the cross to replace what I owe. I'm coming to you. You know, she's on fire right now. Can't stop it. She went out, bought a Bible the next day or two, calling John and saying, give me verses, I got to read. So John gives her this litany of verses, then she's reading through those and studying those. And she gets her husband on, so now she and her husband are Skyping with us. Skype's amazing, you can use it for good cause, you know. It's just amazing what God is doing in the moment of this person's life. Let me ask you this. Did God know this was coming? We've got an almighty God who knows, who works with, who is present right there with and nurturing us up to the moment of coming to know him so he can just reveal the more of him for all of eternity. Praise be to God. Amen? That's who our God is. You may be here this morning going, I don't know him. Maybe this is your moment right here and right now to nail it down. A time to just say, Lord, forgive me. Use your shed blood for that, please. I want to come to know you. Maybe you've already done that and it's a time to say, I'm getting back to it. No more distractions. No more just wandering away. No more of that complete dissonance. Lord, it's time for me to embrace you. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Let's just take a moment or two here where we close our eyes and we lay it before him and let him take over.